Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to take a look at health insurance programs in the United States and in several other countries of the world. My guest is an expert on this topic. Dr. Gerald Friedman is professor of economics at the University of Massachusetts, and he's the executive director of the Hopbrook Institute, as well as being the author of a new book titled, The Case for Medicare for All. Professor Friedman, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you being with me today. We're going to start off with a really easy, we're going to get into your book, very interesting book. It's short, it's very readable, it's very factual, it looks like, but uh, just out of the box, you've looked at the healthcare system in the United States, you've looked at other countries. What do you see as, what are, what are some of the best healthcare systems in the world? I've heard that the French have a great one, the British, the Canadians to some degree, Ours seems to be broken a bit and very expensive, but how, how do you see them? Well, the first thing to note is that everybody's doing better than us. So we could just pick anyone and it's better than the United States. Um, second, there's a wide range in how different countries approach uh, healthcare. Some are more concerned about cost, while others more concerned about maintaining uh, universal access to any sort of care, any type of care. Um, the British are very good at controlling costs with their national health service. Um, Britain spends significantly less on health care than do other countries, about $4,000 per person compared to $10,000 for the United States or about $7,000 for other affluent countries. And they achieve life expectancy comparable with other countries around 81, 82 years, while we're at like 78, 79 years. Um, the Germans spend more and they live a bit longer. The Japanese um, who have a system more like Canada's of single payer, um, the Japanese spend more and live the longest of anybody. Um, countries like Switzerland rely more on private health insurance. The Germans have a highly regulated system with literally hundreds of private health insurance plans that cover everybody. Um, so there are a lot of different ways to do it. The Canadians have one payer, single payer health insurance plan that covers everybody with private ownership of hospitals and doctors work for themselves. In Britain, as I mentioned, doctors mostly work for the government. So there are a lot of different ways to do it. And all other countries do better than we do. Um, if we were to move to one system, the smallest change would be to go to a system like Switzerland, which has lots of competing private health insurance plans highly regulated, so they all have to provide pretty much the same services 
um, uh, under the same conditions, but they do it privately. Um, and ger the German system is similar to that, um, with the government picking up much of the cost and also the government picking up coverage for those who are left out of the private plans. Um, if we move to something like that, that's kind of the vision of the people who developed the Affordable Care Act. Um, that would be the smallest change we could make. Moving to the Canadian system would be a larger change to a single payer system, would probably save a bit more money. Moving to the British system would save the most money um, with the National Health Service, but that would be a sea change in the way we do things in this country. Now, you in your book, you say Medicare for all, and we've heard this debate. There's it's been a very uh, healthy debate, I think, over the healthcare system and different approaches to this. The Medicare health program itself seems to be very popular in the United States and seems to be functioning fairly well, effectively and efficiently, as best I read about and can hear about. But uh, if we were to say, go to a Medicare for all, what would be some of the major changes? And what, do, what does that entail as far as restructuring the healthcare system we have today? Well, in some ways, it would not be a major change in terms of where you get your care and how that care is provided. Pro, uh, doctors and hospitals would continue to operate as private, act, private enterprise. Um, your doctor would continue to work for him or herself or continue to work for a hospital or a network. You would choose your doctor, which is a bit of a change for many people who have narrow networks through their health insurance now. Um, you could choose your own doctor and move from one doctor to another. Um, so that would be a relatively small change. The big change would be in what happens to your bill. Uh, you would submit your bill to Medicare as the elderly or the disabled do now. And there are, depending on how the program was structured, whether there would be co-pays or other forms of cost sharing, you would pay something or nothing. And um, the rest would be paid by Medicare, which would have a set of rates that it would pay the doctors in the hospital. The big change would be on that side, on the payment side because Medicare negotiates its rates with doctors or negotiates maybe too friendly a word, sets the rates that it pays doctors and hospitals. Um, and the rates set for doctors are a little bit below what some doctors get now, but the rates set to hospitals would be a lot lower. The current Medicare program does not have uh, much of a drug benefit. They, there's a drug subsidy for people to buy their own drug health insurance. Um, the program that I describe and that most supporters of Medicare for All uh, favor would have Medicare providing a drug benefit within Medicare itself. That would be a big change because American drug prices now are set through private enterprise at whatever the market will bear and they are much, much higher over twice what they are in other countries. Med Medicare presumably would negotiate the drug prices um, and would pay a lot less than <laughs> what people pay now. But for people on the ground, people who are sick or need drugs or ho hospitalization, things would not change that much for them. The changes would be in the financing of the system. And do we have a ballpark figure on what it costs now as opposed to what a Medicare for all program would cost 
overall and perhaps to the average family. I know anyone who's been to the hospital or even just listening, even to doctors talk about it, how mind boggling it is when you get the bill from the hospital and you have multiple layers of expenses and exorbitant prices, it seems like for just minor items like $20 for an aspirin or something like that. But how would the costs be affected that way? Well, the costs would be much, much lower. Uh, the major difference, Americans actually use less health care than do people in other countries. Um, we get less health care, especially for the uninsured who are about 10% of the population and another 20% of the population or so who are underinsured. That is whose insurance basically doesn't cover anything but it is catastrophe. Um, we use less health we use less health care, but we're paying much, much more, you know, 50% more than any than other countries. Now, the difference is that the prices of everything, as you mentioned, are exorbitant in the United States, especially in hospitals. So what would happen in with Medicare for all is we would pay lower prices. Now that would be a problem for hospitals um, who have been building these gigantic complexes, buying up land, piling up reserves um, with the high prices that they're charging. Um, and it would be a problem for the drug companies who pharmacy, pharmaceuticals have been the most profitable industry in America for 40 years now. Um, and that would change under Medicare for all with negotiated prices. Um, uh, overall, we spend about close to $4 trillion, 17% of our total income, $3.6 trillion on healthcare. Um, this year is gonna be a, bump up because of COVID. So it's a little bit hard to say exactly. But in that ballpark, we would save, we would spend about a third less if we had a Medicare for all system because of reduced prices and because we'd be saving so much on the administration of the payment system and the insurance system. Um, we, the average American hospital has about as many people doing billing as it has beds you know, working up those bills is a big process. I mean, you look at, it's not only the high prices on these hospital bills, but how long they are. And you've got to work them all out. And that takes a lot of people hours. Um, so that would be saved. And of course the insurance industry itself employs um, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and much of that is marketing, utilization review that doesn't need to happen, bill processing, hassling people. Yeah, so uh, that would go away with Medicare for All, and we'd save maybe a trillion dollars. We'd have to put money back into the system to cover everybody and to give everybody better access. Um, so that would be putting money back. But overall, we would be saving maybe $500 billion dollars. Um, which $2,000 per person or one close to $2,000 per person in the United States, $8,000 for a family, family of four. That's a lot of money that we would be saving with Medicare for all. That is a very healthy chunk of change to put it mildly that it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're watching global connections television, which is a privately funded independently produced program. The opinions expressed on global connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. 
Also, if you're involved with the PBS or Community Access Television Station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra campus television hookup, or you have just a computer, you like our programs, and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided as a public service at no cost to help people better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at the healthcare system in the United States in comparison to the systems in other countries such as Japan, Germany, and the UK. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Dr. Gerald Friedman is professor of economics at the University of Massachusetts and executive director of the Hopbrook Institute, as well as being the author of a recent book titled The Case for Medicare for All. Professor Friedman, we're talking about the expenses and I'm sure we could go further into that, but I'm just curious on the, no system is perfect. Uh, you've talked about the Medicare for, for All. Are there, is there a downside? Would we have physicians who would be perhaps unhappy because they didn't earn quite as much money. And today, some of the physicians, well, the specialists are paid very well, extremely well, and even the doctors in comparison to what doctors are paid in the UK uh, receive uh, very substantive income, substantial incomes. But uh, are there any negatives, downsides on this? Or how, how do you see that working out? Well, the first problem, um, and this is, uh, part of the political problem of making the transition to a better system. The first problem is the tr economic transition. If we're going to be lowering Medicare rates to, or lowering reimbursement rates to hospitals, mm -hmm. drug companies, and to some extent doctors, um, how are they going to handle getting less money, less income? Um, many people, um, CEOs, top executives, um, at these companies and the shareholders in the hospitals and the pharmaceuticals will suffer major losses. Um, and while that's not a large, super large number of people, um, given the losses that they would be suffering, um, that's a very powerful political lobby. And it's also you know, you've got to factor that in to what will that do to the economy of cities that have come to rely on uh, major hospital chains um, or big pharma. Uh, over time, there'd be a concern to maintain um, options, basically, uh, variety, the opportunity to get care if the government sets uh, that declares that this drug is uh, not on our formulary. Basically, the way you negotiate prices, it, you negotiate anything, you have to be able to walk away. So the Veterans Administration pays much lower prices for drugs than do the rest of Americans. Uh, but they do it because they have a formulary and they say, we're not going to, if, if you don't give us the price we want, we won't let people use your drug or we won't pay for that drug. That's the, you have to be able to walk away. Now, if you really want that drug because it's a big country and your situation is very different from everybody else's, then we have to have some option for people. If the government decides that certain programs are not medically necessary or not worth the money, this is what goes on in Britain where the National Health Service decides that certain, certain practices aren't worth it. They may have some medical benefit for some people, but it's not worth it. Well, 
in the United States, people want to be able to get the healthcare they need if they feel that they need it, even if its probability of success is very, very low, um, or some people want that. So we need to pre preserve a private sector, um, which in Britain they do. You know, many doctors there have outside practices. Then we've got the problem, how do we keep the public sector vibrant given that there's this private sector and doctors may be earning more money per hour in the private practice than they are in the public one. Um, so this is a problem that, that every country with a strong public sector has this type of problem and it needs to be managed. And of course, we're a large country and there's a lot of diversity. Um, the problems in Mississippi with very high obesity and smoking um, or Ohio or West Virginia with very high opioid use may be different from what you have in California. Um, and finally, while nobody really likes to get into this, there's the issue, how are we going to handle undocumented immigrants? Um, because they need healthcare. And if we don't give people who need healthcare if we don't provide health care to people who need health care, then they tend to spread disease. Um, so we all have an interest. Um, and if they're working here, then they're contributing. So shouldn't they may be paying taxes and everything. So shouldn't we be providing them health care? But that gets to a problem of how this country handles immigration. So every problem we have in our society is it would be in the Medicare for all program. <laughs> we can't get away from problems, that's for sure. You yep. mentioned several yep. points, and so often we hear about, and talking about driving up costs, where some people go to the emergency room, Esther, for the family doctor or their general practitioner, which is, that's like dealing with cancer when you're in the fourth stage of it or something like that. And of course, the emergency rooms are very expensive. Another issue that's related to all this is a human right. A lot of people and international organizations and what have you have commented on this and feel that healthcare is a human right, that everyone should have it. And for those who do, are not covered, how in the world do they survive? If you can just imagine if you had cancer or some other horrible disease and had no healthcare coverage whatsoever, and we still have that situation. Do you consider that a human right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, first, as far as the emergency rooms go, uh, the issue is that so many people don't have a, a primary care doctor. Um, now, a sensible healthcare system, one of the great advantages of a Medicare for All system is we would have an incentive to provide better care and care where it is needed. Uh, a private health insurance company may have you on board for a year and don't necessarily care about how you're going to be in the future. The Medicare program would have you forever. So they want to keep you healthy. Um, and we would, it would be integrated naturally into a public health program um, so that people wouldn't have to go rushing to emergency rooms and hospitals um, for those types of services. Uh, the International uh, Declaration of Human Rights, I think it's Article 25, counts healthcare as a what an essential human right, access to healthcare. Franklin Roosevelt in his State of the Union address in 1944 included healthcare as one of the essential freedoms. And indeed you can't function in society and you can't exercise your right to opportunity uh, unless you have, unless you 
are healthy and have access to health care, needed health care. So it is, a, it is an essential human right. And that human right comes with it or brings with it higher labor productivity. Countries that are healthier are more productive. Um, I did an estimate for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts where our productivity would be expected to rise by 8% over a decade if we had universal access to healthcare. Um, is that a good number? You know, I think it is, but you know, we could argue about that, but there's no question that when people are healthier, they show up to work on time, they show up ready to work. When their children are healthier, um, people's stress is lower and people are able to work more productively. Um, so it's not only that in a democracy, we should treat all our citizens and all our residents decently, but also it's in our economic best interest to treat everybody well um, and to provide health care for all. And it certainly seems that businesses and many governments are starting to realize that they're looking at the bottom line and realizing it's in their best interest to be involved yeah. in this. Well, before we run out of time, I do have one or two more questions I want to squeeze in. If you talked about the UK system, the Canadian, the Japanese, the German. If you, if President Biden and all 535 members of Congress called you and said, which of these systems that are operating <laughs> overseas is the best of the bunch that we could look at and maybe build around Medicare for all. Is there one that you would pick? If I had my druthers, I would go for the UK system. Um, uh, practically, as I indicated earlier, given the political situation, I'd probably go for the Swiss system. Yeah. Uh, um, I think, uh, please go right ahead. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the Swiss system is closer to what we have now while still providing the benefits of universal coverage. Um, the British system with the National Health Service, I think, is the ideal. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I was enamored of Call the Midwife, the uh, P PBS, uh, BBC show, so that maybe contributed to my view. But it's also, they, they get the best bang for the buck, the biggest improvements in life expectancy, and are best able to coordinate care across all levels. And that is so extremely important. Well, in the closing minute that we have, what comments would you like to make as far as what we can do or what we should do to move forward because we really need to do something to improve this patchwork that we have that's really very one of the most expensive in the world i would imagine and one of the least effective what one would you of, recommend well right now we're in a great opportunity because of covid and the generals uh uh sense it's been building for a decade that we need to make a major change in our healthcare system um i think COVID has really exposed the failures of our patchwork system, our reliance on employer-based insurance when millions of people lose their jobs. Millions of people, especially young people, never got into the employer-based healthcare system. And then they're encountering, encountering um, a, a global pandemic. Um, I think now, and I think the Biden administration is aware of this, uh, with programs in his platform, and some of them were enacted already to expand access to health insurance through improving the Affordable Care Act, but also uh, lowering the age for Medicare, letting more people in. Very important to 
to people near elderly who lose jobs. I also think we should bring everybody at birth into Medicare. Um, and uh, <laughs> ideally keep them there till they're 26 um, as the age in the Affordable Care Act when children are allowed, uh, allowed to stay on their parents' plan. Um, these are cha changes that would have a huge effect on healthcare in the United States while working within our current system. They certainly would, and it pays dividends to help people stay healthy and to have them into a system that will help them to stay healthy and to make sure that they're not uh, overextended on their medical expenses. But I'm so glad you covered all these really remarkable parts. And we're going to see this debate heat up, I'm sure, very much in the future. But yes. I want to thank you, Dr. Gerald Friedman, for your book, Your Medicare for All, and for a very interesting and a very informative program. And thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.